0: Welcome to the Sports on Point podcast for Memorial Day 2010. I am your host, Matthew Smith. And I'm John Zavarelli. And I'm Bob Severns. I'm pressing the buttons. We're going to get right into the feedback from this week. We got some good emails from uh, Josh in Nebraska, Bob in Akron. Uh, both of them were kind of digging the MMA coverage from last week. Uh, also, uh, also some good comments from Bob about uh, he doesn't hate us. He just wants to give us some point of view. So keep it coming, guys.
1: And that's Akron, Ohio, by the way, because uh, there are probably a lot of Akrons, and since we are getting feedback from Nebraska and different states now, we're going to have to start doing that. Good call, Bob. We're nationwide. We are nationwide. We're worldwide. We're in iTunes. You can't get much bigger than that.
0: Before we get started with the headlines, we'll give you a rundown of what we're not going to be talking about in this week's podcast. We are definitely not going to be talking about the finales of Lost, 24, or American Idol.
1: Definitely no comments about Gary Coleman or Dennis Hopper and we're not going to be talking about the golf oil spill either this is a sports podcast for crying out loud we're going to talk about this week in sports this is the section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet now these are stories from every day they aren't necessarily the biggest stories but they're the things that people are talking about starting off with monday the cleveland cavaliers fired head coach mike brown what do you think john I think it's a move that had to happen. I don't think necessarily that it had to fall
2: all on Mike Brown's shoulders. I think he was a good coach for his five years there.
0: This is really not a big surprise. Mike Brown was a great regular season coach, just really couldn't grasp the increased intensity that he needs to grasp if he wants to win in the playoffs.
1: Moving along to Tuesday, New Jersey man pleads guilty to vomiting on a girl at a Phillies game. Yuck.
0: This has got to be one of the most disgusting sports stories I have ever heard. All I can say is only in Philly.
1: The kid looked kind of like the great Hambino from the Sandlot all grown up. I just hope he didn't have a Philly cheesesteak. All right, moving along to Wednesday. Santana Moss said he was treated by Dr. Anthony Galia. There's more and more athletes that are
2: coming out that have been treated by this guy. I, I'm curious to see what happens in the future on this.
0: Especially with the Tiger Woods link. I really think Santana Moss at 5'10", 200 pounds... If he was taking a product called human growth hormone, hormone, he should be asking for his money back.
1: Moving along to Thursday, the NBA rescinds Perkins' technical foul and they upgrade Pierce's foul. What do you think, Matt?
0: I think this was definitely the right call regarding Perkins. Uh, it seemed like when you watched the game that, that Joey Crawford had forgotten that uh, Perkins had one technical foul. It looked like he really regretted calling the second one as soon as he called it. I think it's good that the NBA took a look at it and, and made the right
2: move. I agree with Matt. I think this is a good call in rescinding those. It's just a bad a bad technical call that was fouled. I didn't see any reason for it.
1: Alright, Friday. The Penguins to host the 2011 Bridgestone NHL Winter Classic on New Year's Day at Heinz Field.
2: I think this is a good thing. I love the outdoor games for hockey. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins have become pretty much one of the faces of hockey as far as Sidney Crosby, so I, I love it.
0: I'm gonna head down to Vegas and put 50 bucks on one of those two teams making the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. If you look at the last Winter Classics that they've had, one of the teams that's played in that has made it to the Stanley Cup Finals every year. So we can definitely uh, we can definitely count one of these two teams in for it.
1: On Saturday, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says more Super Bowls possible at cold weather sites. This after the Tuesday affirmation of the site in New York. There,
0: I think a Super Bowl in Green Bay would be absolutely amazing. I don't really think it's possible, but hey, we can dream, right? It's, it's a city where they already have to sell parking spaces on people's yards just to uh, get everybody into the stadium.
2: I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. I think Super Bowls should only be played in domes. I think you should take the weather out of it.
1: And rounding the week off on Sunday, the NCAA Committee on Infractions announced that they're going to release their findings for USC football and basketball on Friday. What do you guys think?
2: All I have to say about that is it's about time.
0: Yeah, I think this is really going to be the final say on Pete Carroll's legacy at USC. Because for years he was saying he had the best job in the world. And then he jumps for the NFL as soon as these uh, investigations start. So we'll see what kind of a snake he really is.
1: Now we're going to introduce a new section this week. This is called The News That Can't Be Ignored. Now this is stuff that you should have been talking about this past week. Sometimes you'll get those weird topics that are shared on Facebook and Twitter. So what are the other big things that are going on, Matt?
0: Well, we got the NBA Finals are going to be starting Thursday. Uh, obviously, it's the Boston Celtics going up against the LA Lakers. The long-standing rivalry will continue. I'm really excited to see how this one plays out. Both of these guys are coming in really hot from their uh, conference finals.
2: Stanley Cup Finals. We have the Philadelphia Flyers versus the Chicago Blackhawks. It's the underdog versus the the heavyweight. Now that Chicago has been playing a lot better, this it uh, should be a good series. Philadelphia is coming back from the 3-0 deficit on um, Boston a, a few series back and they're looking to close out the Stanley Cup and take it home.
0: They might be the team of destiny. We'll see. Also, Angels first baseman Kendry Morales broke his leg while celebrating a walk-off Grand Slam on Sunday. Rounding the base, comes into the mob celebration at home plate, lands awkwardly, shatters his leg. They're saying he may be back this season. Man, what a way to go out.
2: Rashad Evans beats Rampage Jackson in UFC 114. I watched this fight last night. It was one of the most hyped fights in UFC history. I was a little disappointed. I was hoping for a knockout in the first round, the way these guys were talking. But it, overall, it was a good fight with Rashad pulling it out in a unanimous decision.
0: And finally, Roy Holiday pitches a perfect game against the Florida Marlins. This is a historic thing. It's two perfect games in the major leagues in one month. First time that's happened since 1880. That's a long time.
1: All right, main point number one. Should Major League Baseball expand their postseason to include more games? My view on
2: this is absolutely not. I don't think that they need more teams in the postseason. I think, if anything, it could go with less teams, maybe back to the way that they used to do it prior when they just had the top two teams from each league and had them play, and then the winner of that goes to the post to the World Series against each other. Right now they play 162 games a season. If that's not enough te- if that's not enough games to determine which teams are the best, then to be honest with you, I don't even pay attention to baseball in the first 3 or 4 months of the season and it kind of takes away from the regular season by if you were to expand the teams because it doesn't make the regular season as imp- as important with playing that many games, you should definitely know which which teams are best and I mean it's just ridiculous that they play that many games and there's any, any talks or anything like that of expanding because it's just basically about the money I don't think, I don't think that they need to expand by any means
0: well I think the system is, uh, is definitely far from perfect in its current situation um, I'm not necessarily rallying for us to have an eight teams in each league or anything along those lines I think there's just too many situations where we enter into the playoffs and we've got four teams that aren't even necessarily the best teams in their leagues I don't necessarily think that we need to expand to six. I don't think we need to expand to eight. But whenever you have a situation like we had in 2008 where the New York Mets finished five games better than the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Dodgers make the playoffs, the Mets don't, I think that indicates that there's a problem with the system. Anytime that you've got a playoff where you've got players, that, teams that made it in that didn't even have as good of records as teams who didn't, there needs to be something done. My suggestion is we put... In this case, the Mets and the Dodgers in a one, maybe a three-game playoff. First of all, there's nothing more exciting than a one-game playoff in baseball, so why not have more of them? It just makes everything better. And second of all, you you stand a better chance of having the best teams playing in the postseason, which is something that's been missing sometimes uh, with our current system. All in all, I think uh, I think if you were to look at the look at the situations that we've had over the past couple of years, it's really hard to make an argument against having a one a one-game playoff. And in this case, it would have put a New York team in there, which would have made the playoffs a lot more financially successful anyways, just because having a team from the main uh, largest market in America uh, always helps out.
2: I'm also a big proponent of actually cutting it back to just the two teams, like I said before. it Basically, with the two teams in there, you're going to get rid of upsets. I know everybody loves upsets, but once again, with playing 162 games, you're going to have your teams that are... Are the best teams and baseball is kind of like hockey. You, anything can happen. I mean, it, it's baseball. Any, any. I just saw the Baltimore Orioles about two months ago sweep the Boston Red Sox, the last place teams sweep a team that's going to be in first place. It's just, I just think it should be cut down to just two teams.
1: Moving along to point number two, is Dwight Howard the dirtiest player in the NBA? What do you think, Matt?
0: Well, I think uh, I think you certainly have to say he's at the top of the list in my book. Um, if you look at uh, the Boston series this uh, this postseason, we're not even going to look at any season or any series other than the Boston series. Let's take a look game by game. Game number one, Howard elbowed Glenn Big Baby Davis in the face. There was an offensive foul called. Uh, a whistle doesn't necessarily take away from the impact or the, or the effect that that elbow has on the game. Game number two, uh, he pulled on Paul Pierce's jersey. He elbowed him. If you look at the replays of the situation, it looked like he kind of raked his fingers across his face. They called a flagrant foul, but again, the physical contact, the physical impact of the play really outweighs the foul that's called. Game number three, there was a situation where uh, Howard fouled Kendrick Perkins hard. He kind of threw him to the ground. When you watch the replay, it looks like he was falling through all the way to the ground uh, intentionally. Game number four, there was a situation where Kevin Garnett was out, elbowed in the face. Uh, Garnett pushed him back. There was a technical foul called, but the technical foul was called against the retaliator, in this case Garnett. And then game five, there was a couple incidents. Uh, incidents. Uh, there was a situation where Howard elbowed Pierce and followed through, make him land kind of awkward. They called a foul there. Then, of course, the most famous situation where he elbowed Glenn Big Baby Davis again, knocked some of his teeth out, gave him a concussion. He was laying on the ground, immobilized for a few minutes. Once he got up, he really couldn't even keep his balance. The thing that's kind of worked in Howard's advantage and as far as his public image is concerned is that he's always come across as a very affable, likable guy. And all of these elbow situations that he's had in the past have all come in in-game situations. It wasn't like any situation where he came out of his way to hit somebody. But that's not necessarily a sign that it was all accidental because if you look at the other centers in the league, none of them are throwing this many elbows and none of them are landing this many.
2: I'm going to go out on a limb here. And my pet peeve with basketball when it goes down is flops. I don't like players that flop. I think I think that's dirty in itself because it's you're over-dramatizing like a, a harmless foul. Something's not even technically would be considered a foul. So I'm kind of going out on a, on a limb here and the person that I see do this the most is Anderson Varejal. Now I know most people wouldn't think that he's a dirty player, but like I said, basketball does be, become a, a pretty physical game. There are elbows that are thrown. I'm not saying that Dwight Howard is not one of the dirtier players in the game because, I mean, all the examples that Matt just named off pretty much sums that up, but like I said, I know basketball gets physical elbows are thrown, and I think the instances that he did pretty much bring up, there's been a lot more flops than anything as far as Anderson Brazil probably flops maybe once or twice a game, and to me, like I said, I, I play basketball, and I can't stand people who do that, and I actually think that it's, it's kind of, it's cheap. So, in, in that sense, I think it is a dirty play. I know that's going out on a limb, but I kind of had to pick on Anderson Varejao. I like the guy. He's a great player, great energy, but that's just my pet peeve when it comes to basketball.
0: If you look at what Varejao does, he really does take advantage of the rules. I don't know if I would go as far as to say that makes him a dirty player. Uh, really what he's doing is just, just playing to the referees, just taking a little acting course. i do not not a big fan of it myself, but it doesn't, to me, have the impact that an elbow does. Uh, an elbow can really kind of knock you for a loop a little bit, can see, have you seeing some stars. Maybe you're not uh, nailing your depth perception as well. Your jumpers start clanging off the back of the rim later on in the game. I think it just has a bigger effect and therefore makes it a dirtier play altogether.
1: All right, main point number 3, Ron Artest and the blown game that never was. John Pop quiz. You're da- you're up by 3. You get an offensive
2: rebound with 1 minute left. You kick it out to Ron Artest. What do you do, Ron Artest? He shoots the 3 with 22 seconds left on the game clock. This was a bonehead play. This is one of the, I, this is a, not a very good play as far as NBA strategy goes. In Ron Artest's defense, it would have been a great shot if he had made it, but it was one of the biggest, I'd say biggest bonehead plays of all time. It was a terrible, terrible shot. Everyone, the entire crowd you could hear say no. Uh, so what I decided to do was look over some bonehead plays in the past and see if if maybe this one was the tops of all time. Uh, after looking looking over it, I decided that Ron Artest, I'll give, I'll give you a break here, even though we have kind of a, a love-hate relationship. But uh, I don't think it was the worst bonehead play of all time as far as I did postseason and I did tournament play. Um, the number one of all time I had, and I mean, I don't know if I'll get too much argument from it, but it was Chris Weber's timeout against um, North Carolina in the national championship game. This was the biggest bonehead play of all time. Also, though, I'm going to have to go. This one wasn't a playoff game or wasn't a tournament game, but I'm going to have to go with run our test, uh, going into the crowd and taking a shot at the uh, the Detroit fan. This was probably one of the biggest bonehead plays because you pretty much ruined one of your, your best chances to win a championship. You made up for it by putting that putback back in, but as far as shooting that three, that was ill advised, and you almost cost your team, you almost cost your stay in LA. You almost called it bye-bye, and you pretty much almost blew the, the season because I believe that Phoenix would have came back and won this won the series if it hadn't been for your putback.
0: Yeah, I think Artest definitely dodged a bullet when he made that putback. I don't know if I can in good conscience say that that shot, that three-point shot, was one of the top blown-head plays of all time. The The example that I will give you is Ali Uh If you remember back in the NCAA tournament, they were up by one point with 35 seconds to go, playing against the number one team in the country, the Kansas Jayhawks. And Farouk manesh shoots a jump shot from three points with, I believe, 30 seconds left on the shot clock. At the time, there was some brief mention about how dumb of a decision that was to shoot that shot, but the shot went in, so mostly what you heard was a lot of people commenting and complimenting the stones that it took to actually put that shot in the air. And he was kind of the uh, the sports sensation for a week or so. Our test in this situation was really doing the exact same thing. When they asked him after the game, he said he just wanted to put a dagger in the hearts of the Phoenix Suns, and if he'd have made that shot, he would have done it. It was the same thing Farouk Manesh did. But in this case, our test missed the shot. There's no mention of the guts that it took to put that shot in the air. There's no mention of what he was trying to do. It's only a stupid shot. I really don't think he can have it both ways. If we're going to criticize our test, we've got to criticize Farouk Manesh, and I haven't heard that happening, so I'm not going to step out on that plank. Uh, as a coach, I'm sure Phil Jackson was on the sidelines. He was pretty upset. I'm thinking if I'm a Lakers fan, I'm pretty upset with that shot. But i got to tell you, as a basketball fan, I kind of understood what he was trying to do. Not the smartest move, but if it had gone in, what would we be saying? As it stands, he got the put back. The game was over. It didn't matter. But the interesting thing that happened here was our test went from the goat to the glory when he put that put back in, but on the other side, Jason Richardson went the other way. He had that bank shot with three and a half seconds left to tie the game, and then he doesn't block out. He doesn't throw a back to Artest coming across the lane. It allows him to get that rebound put the put back in.
2: In Artest's defense, I mean, it was a great play to come back from missing that three-pointer. I mean, he pretty much knew he let everyone down in the arena as well as his coach. His coach pretty much looked at him and said, what are you doing? And then he came back big, got the offensive rebound and put it back in, um, showed good heart as far as being able to carry through with that, but that was a terrible shot.
1: Now we're going to go to our closing arguments section. Now this section is where our hosts will present their closing argument as if they were presenting a court case. So it can be about anything on their mind this week. There are no rebuttals or comments allowed during this section, and you, the listener, will be able to vote on who presented the best closing argument by sending your votes to twitter.com slash sports on so closing argument number one. I'm going to let you, John, introduce your closing argument and then I'll start the timer. My closing argument is I think that the NBA's playoff rule for flagrant
2: and technical fouls is flawed and it needs changed. Pretty much right now as it stands, you get seven technical fouls in the postseason. Uh, after that sec- seven technical fouls, you get suspended. For flagrant fouls, you actually get there's a f- what they call a flagrant one and a flagrant two. It's pretty much how hard you foul the guy. You get one point for a flagrant one, two points for a flagrant two, and when you accumulate three points, you actually get suspended for one game. In my opinion, I think this should be changed to where you combine flagrant fouls and technical fouls. I think it should be, and I think it should be for each playoff series. I think the maximum should be three. You get any combination of three technicals or three flagrants, and you get suspended a game. I also think that the a flagrant 2 should be there should be just one flagrant foul it's a flagrant foul it's a flagrant foul so any combination of these and then you would get you would get a one game suspension i think after if a flagrant foul is called the league office should review the play after the game determine if it's a malicious flagrant foul which would be considered a flagrant ta- flagrant 2 in the nba rules now if they do determine that you should also be suspended a game basically if the flagrant 2 if they do determine it's a flagrant two and it happens to be on the the third your third point for that series, you're suspended two games. But I do I don't think that it should be throughout the whole playoffs because that's really not gonna thwart people from getting flagrant fouls and technical fouls if they're down three nothing in a series. I mean if I'm down three nothing and we're about to lose, I don't care about flagrant fouls or technical fouls. So I I think they're doing it to clean up the game a little bit, but teams that are already losing, I don't think that that's going to deter them from committing flagrant fouls or technical fouls. So that's my opinion. I think they should be. that's
1: how it should be changed up, and I think the NBA should look into that. We're going to move along to closing argument number two. I'm going to let Matt introduce it, and then I'll start the timer.
0: Matt. I want to talk a little bit about Cowboy Joe West and his Wild West ways. You may recall earlier this season... Uh, Joe West was in the news because he was pretty critical of the Yankees and the Red Sox. His quote was, They're two of the best teams in baseball. Why are they playing the slowest? It's pathetic and embarrassing. Just basically ripping them for playing slow baseball. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, Joe, but baseball is a slower game. It's kind of the running theme. Now he's in the news again because he threw Guillen and Burley out of a game this week. Uh, Burley dropped his glove after a bot call in the third inning, kicked him out. Of course, Guillen came out, and was saying what he had to say, and kicked him out as well. I think there's some there's some issues that we need to look at with Joe West here. According to Timmy Kirkshin, uh from ESPN.com, his strike zone is the unholy combination of small and unpredictable, and his attitude is big and unpredictable. Joe West has been in the majors since 1976. He's had definitely had his share of confrontations in the leagues. In 1984, he ejected two television cameramen from Shea Stadium uh, because they allowed the Mets to see a replay of a play at the plate. In 1990, in a brawl between the Phillies and Dodgers, West lifted and slammed to the ground the Phils pitcher Dennis Cook. Uh, West was a former football player, so it only seemed natural to him. Later that season, he overheard Philly outfielder Von Hayes say something about uh, say, say something about it to crewmate. Harry Wendelstedt, and he gave him the boot from the game just for talking about it. The NL president, Bill White, made an official inquiry and specifically warned West to tone it down. Joe needs some attention now. It's it's coming and getting out of hand again. He's trying to get publicity, and, and it's for a very, uh, very obvious reason, Joe West, also known as Cowboy Joe West, is uh, trying to launch a singing-songwriting career. He's actually touring around the country doing performances at the same time he's officiating games. He's got a publicist, and any publicist will tell you there's no such thing as bad publicity.
1: All right, well, this has been Sports on Point. To vote for your winning closing argument, send a direct tweet to our podcast at twitter.com slash on And as always, you can send your suggestions on how we can improve our show to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. This has been Bob with your hosts. I'm the co-host. I'm John Savarelli.
0: And I'm your host, Matthew Smith.
1: We'll see you next week. Bye,
2: guys.